Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Ike Piggott. He's a former broadcast journalist who now works at Alabama Power as a communications strategist. And prior to that, he served as a public affairs officer for the Red Cross. Ike, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for talking with me. This is, uh, this is good. It's been, it's been way too long. I mean, I, you know, I've been doing this podcast way too long to have not had you on the show. So I'm just delighted to welcome you. Well, well, thank you, thank you. It's uh, it's been fun because uh, you know we've been kind of circling each other and, and in the same groups uh, for a long time online, and uh, and it's it's fun to it's fun to talk about the evolution of technology and how it intersects with business with uh, with somebody who's been there through it all too. And you and I had an interesting conversation the other day that I wanted to follow up on about practical social media policy enforcement. So we're at a point now where the research shows most organizations do have a corporate social media policy of some kind in place. Um, I think the latest research from uh, ProScout and Associates, which has been doing an annual social media in the workplace report, uh, put it at 80%. So we're up to now 80% of employers having some sort of official social media policy in place. So I'll have a link to a page where you can download that report on the show notes if you're interested. Um, but over the same period of time, interestingly enough, um, we've gone from, I think, 59% to 80% of employers having social media policies. And over that same period of time, the number of incidents where employers use social media in a way that was out of compliance with the policy and required disciplinary action went from 35% to 70%, which, you know, shouldn't be any big surprise because who really reads corporate policy? You know, we sign for it. We, ex- we expect that if there's really something awful in there, someone else would have read it and said something about it already. It's a uh, cost of doing business, so we acknowledge the policy. Uh, but then, of course, comes policy enforcement. So, first of all, who usually and who should enforce a social media policy? Who in the organization? Well, I, ideally, that's going to be the same people who enforce every other policy. Uh, that's going to be function, function, and depending upon how your organization breaks things out, uh, the size and the scale of your company, uh, you know that that could be it, it's going to be connected somehow to HR. But you may have a, a separate ethics or compliance group uh, that that is there to ensure that any policy or guideline, uh, no matter how strict or, or, uh, or lax for the, for the company's benefit, uh, gets applied in a fair and equitable way. Uh, that, that's, that's one of the, the biggest no-nos for a company is to have a policy and it not be uh, uniformly applied in, in all circumstances. Uh, you mentioned the, the increase in the number of companies that have taken some type of step or action against an employer.
the land has no laws, there are no lawbreakers. Uh, but, but what we are seeing is that even when you do have that policy, if you haven't taken the concrete steps to determine how you're going to identify the potential uh, breaking of the policy, how you're going to document it, and, and what you're going to end up doing with, with that employee, uh, all the way down to you know, who touches the evidence, uh, who talks about it, um, then you're going to run into some issues. And, uh, and, and it's, it's just natural. Companies are, are coming to the point. Every, every company that does this has to do it for the first time sometime. And there's always an, an emphasis on making sure that you do it right because everything that you do for the first time is, by definition, your precedent. And, and that's an important step in, in this process of, of trying to incorporate a, a new technology like, like social media and the networks involved and, uh, and being able to do it for business purposes. So when you talk about um, the people who are going to this this, this uh, policy, you know, you say HR, you say compliance or legal, but you know, when you look even across a marketing department, often there are these huge knowledge gaps in digital literacy. You know, some people are, are pretty advanced users and they know how to do different things with social networks and other people, you know, have very little understanding uh, of, of, of how to use social networks. So you think about HR or compliance, you know, getting involved in enforcing social media policy, what skills are required to pull that off? Oh, well, you know, HR and compliance is ideally going to be involved before that because, you know, you can't, you can't enforce a policy that you haven't trained people about so that's that's the number one thing, and that's that's what I'm excited about seeing with uh, with what comply socially is up to in terms of making sure that you've got the educational component uh, and a good solid baseline for understanding. Uh, ideally, if you're going to be involved in an HR or a, or a compliance department that's going to be looking at these sorts of things, you know, find somebody in the office who is as much of a digital native as possible, uh, and that's that can be difficult <laughs> based on the on the age ranges, but. Uh, you know, and, and by digital native, I'm not talking about the first person in your department who ever got a Facebook page, but somebody who's just really uh, savvy and comfortable and not intimidated by technology, uh, because that's that's going to be the person who's going to ask the right questions in terms of how do we how do we prove it? You know, you look at every other corporate policy that that you might have, uh, one regarding uh, dress code. You know, if, if there's a dress code policy for portions of your building. And there's a violation of it. You know, you, what's what's the threshold? What's the what's the standard of proof? Uh, and it may be it may be in the past it's like, oh, well, you know, several people saw that you were wearing open-toed shoes. You're not supposed to wear open-toed shoes. Uh, but you know, now we've got security cameras. Now we've got ways to have to absolutely document it and prove it. Uh, and and that's the same kind of thought process that has to be applied to the technology here. Uh, you, you know, it's not. It's not enough to say, well, a couple of your coworkers said they saw a picture on your Facebook page that, uh, that shouldn't have been there or, or put the company in a, in a bad light. Uh, you know, you've got to have the, you've got to have the proof. You've got to have the documentation if you're going to make the enforcement of the policy stick. So um, if you've got somebody in your HR ethics compliance department who's, who's, who's got that kind of, uh, of skill set, got that kind of interest, uh, that's great. If you don't, then you probably need to, to bridge them across with, uh, with somebody in IT and, and let, let your IT department uh, drive the solutions. Say, hey, we need a way to be able to do screen captures that capture these things. Uh, we need a, play, a safe place to be able to store those screen captures. Uh, you know, there, there are some services like, uh, like, say, an Evernote. 
that would make it really easy to get that screen capture. But now the question is, from an HR and compliance standpoint, do we want employee records stored on the cloud? Probably not. So you know, th- this is a good time to uh, where the corporate communicator can can bridge the gap and bring the, the HR world and the IT world together and say, look, we we need an IT solution that allows us to document these things in ways that are in line with our existing employee confidentiality policies. And can you give me an example of that? How do you document social media policy violations? What are the sure. best practices? Sure. Uh, the thing that you've got to prove is that something existed at a set point in time. Uh, and, and, and one of the, the keys that you're going to be looking for on that is, uh, is, is, a, is a paper trail that's, that, that, that exists in time, that has timestamps. Just about any picture that you create, whether it's a screen capture or you take a photo uh, with a camera, there, there's going to be metadata that's embedded in that photo that tells you this is when the photo was created. This is when the screen capture, when the file was, was, was originated. But the piece that you need uh, to be able to, to show something in a, in a social media compliance standpoint is, is the timestamp of the actual post. You know, if, uh, if you have an employee that, that posts an inappropriate picture, that, that, that ends up boomeranging uh, uh, around and, and putting the company in bad light. You know, you've got to you've got to show when that thing was posted because if the employee takes it down, you've got to have proof of it. Uh, we'll take Facebook for example. Uh, it works much in the same way with Twitter. There's there's a place in every Facebook post that you can click that will give you the exact URL that will take you right to that item. So if it's it's you know John Edwards' uh, Facebook page. Uh, you, you don't want to have a link just to John Edwards' page. You want to have a link to, uh, to that one post. If you hover over that link, then, then there will be a little pop-up tooltip that tells you the exact date and time that that post was created. And, and from, a, from an investigatory standpoint, that's, that's exactly what you, what you want to be able to show. The trick is, how do you get that screen capture uh, without, without losing where that tooltip is? Uh, I think you're actually pulling up an example here that you may you may incorporate later on. Uh, so some of the tools that you would use for screen captures would force you to move the mouse and you lose it. Others, I'm thinking particularly of a program called Earthen View, which is uh, which is very very low cost uh, for licensing. Um, other other corporations have licensed a program maybe called like a like a Greenshot. Uh, and then there are some other browser-based tools that you can use where, where just with the simple press of a hotkey, uh, it might be like a, a Control F11, or you press the print screen button. It will instantly grab what is ever on the screen at that time uh, and either save it or allow you to, to crop around it. And, and now you've got that tooltip embedded in that picture uh, forever. And, and, and now you've got the evidence you need. But, but you also need to make sure that you're, you're getting all the other parts of it. It's not enough to maybe just show the post itself. Maybe the problem is, is, that, is that the post doesn't mention your company directly. It doesn't mention, uh, you know, it doesn't mention anything specifically about a customer or anything. But the fact that your profile information identifies you as being with the company. You, know, you, you want to be able to show that, that, that a reasonable person at that particular time can, can correlate Wow, that that type of behavior from somebody with that position at your company—you've got to be able to show that that those existed at the same time as well. 
because if you don't, employees can can delete the post. They can they can edit their profile information and remove mentions of the company. And, and now you're trying to enforce something that you can't prove existed. And, and that's where these screen captures come into play. Now, when I go to Twitter, it's very easy, even with a current tweet, uh, just by um, loading the details of that tweet in the browser and going to the, the permalink for the tweet to get the exact time and date of the tweet. So even if it was most recently sent, it's easy to get a, a date stamp for. The problem is if it's a current Facebook status update, it will wind up appearing in the newsfeed as so many hours ago or so many minutes ago. So if I hover my cursor over like where it says three minutes, three minutes or, or, or two hours or whatever, that's where I get that tooltip that pops up with the time um, when it was sent. Now, I, you had recommended Earthen View and Screenshot and um, potentially some browser widgets. Um, you also made the point that it wouldn't be a good idea to store it in the cloud, which is smart. Um, but because but when I try to do it on a Macintosh, you know, the um, iOS command for a screen capture is uh, Command Shift 4. Um, that'll let you select a space and capture. Watch what happens when I do Command Shift, the tooltip disappears. Yes. So I am going to need a solution for this. Now, what about your? I assume you're on a PC. Does the print screen function also make it disappear, or no, no? Uh, and and really, uh, a lot of the PC-based programs have their own hotkeys that are assigned. Uh, if Earthen View is up and running, you press Control F11, and it'll just go ahead and grab whatever whatever in the open window right now. Uh, with with something like an Evernote. Uh, you know, you press print screen, and it's going to grab whatever on the screen at that particular moment. And you know, Evernote's not bad for all business. There are there are many businesses that uh, that uh, have incorporated Evernote on an enterprise level, and they use it. And they've they've figured out how to reconcile the fact that they're going to have some things that are in the cloud. Uh, I'm just merely saying that before before an individual person runs out and says, "Oh, you know, Ike said we could use Evernote for this." Uh, you know, make sure that uh, that there's an understanding of, of you know the fact that this is potentially part of an employee's record uh, when it comes to to a compliance issue, and and you may have some already that they've that they've built out for their uh, for their employees, uh, and it's a matter of just saying, hey, as part of the requirements, we need to be able to press a button that gets the screen at that time and does not make this tooltip disappear. Uh, there are a number of solutions. There are a number of solutions. Uh, your IT department will help steer you uh, to find the right one. Um, now let's take a look at a news feed in LinkedIn. And if I go to, again, and we have to get it six minutes ago, unfortunately in the LinkedIn news feed, when I hover over any of the permalinks, it doesn't appear to give me a, a stamp at all. And then there's none in the permalink here. So I mean, I guess in this type of a scenario, would you reshare it? I don't know if I'd reshare it because then that brings up the possibility that you're just exacerbating the situation by, by putting it out to another audience. Uh, what you might do is uh, is kind of dig around within their profile and and see if uh, see if that person's profile then would have a direct link that takes you to that uh, to that particular post. Uh, and sometimes you could do an end around around it and realize that some of the people who are sharing to LinkedIn are also sharing to Twitter 
and maybe you can go out on Twitter and find the exact link that will take you to that particular LinkedIn post uh, if, you, if you can't get it another way. Uh, I'm not seeing a way in LinkedIn to get a date for anything that's recent. It's interesting. You know, often they're sort of the last ones to get the functionality that you need. Well, I, the functionality might the functionality might already be there. It's just a matter of, uh, of of figuring out how to isolate that one post. Because what's going to happen is, uh, you know, the the post that you're trying to get is going to be the canonical URL that anybody can use to access that particular piece of information and just that piece of information. So here I am. Uh, we're screen sharing. I'm showing you, and you see some. It's interesting. Some okay. status updates have a share option. And some do not. Bring up that share option again. Bring up that share option there on that on that Shanali Burke. Shanali's a friend. She's not going to mind that I'm bringing her out on this. Uh, okay. Now you see share the update, and you can uncheck that and instead check send to individuals. Okay. And in sending to an individual, send it to yourself, and see if that email that results coming back to you gives you the link just to that particular item. Okay, so I've just sent it to myself. Let's go check it out now. I, I, think, I think that it actually popped up with a uh, uh, with a view link. When it, right right before you uh, closed that dialog box, there was a place where you could view the link. Right, uh, right. And that, that that may have been the link you wanted right there. It's not always easy to find, but. Uh, but the, the closer you can get to, to nailing that down and getting the, the single link to that, to that granular item, the better off you're going to be. So it's interesting, Ike, you know, when we share out the link um, or when, when we email a link to ourselves uh, from a post that's been shared on uh, LinkedIn, it still doesn't have a timestamp. So it seems like that's a bit of a challenge in terms of documenting a policy violation with a date stamp on, on a LinkedIn newsfeed. No, but, but you know, one, of the, one thing that you will have in your corner from, from a legal standpoint is if you have the link where that thing did exist and you have a screen capture that shows that it did exist and this is how it looked, even if that person deletes it from their profile, deletes it later, uh, you would have the option to, to then come back to LinkedIn and say, hey, did this ever exist in your archives? Uh, that's not anything you would ever want to do until it got to the level of litigation. But, you know, it's, if, if, if you've got an employee and you've got a screen capture of what they had and you had the link to what they had, they're probably not going to go to the level of fighting you on the, on the basis that LinkedIn is not ever going to be able to prove that if they're subpoenaed with it. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're right. Some networks are going to be better than others in terms of giving you the ironclad timestamps. Uh, but do, just doing your due diligence and collecting what you can uh, from, from each of those opportunities uh, gives you better protection and makes it easier for you to actually apply the policy in question. And that's, that's really what we're talking about, is, is having the leverage to be comfortable to apply the policy where applicable uh, so, that, so that employees know that there are boundaries. Interestingly enough, if you look at something like the comments under the post, those also are stamped with how long ago they were rather than an actual date. And so there'd be really no way to do anything other than just get a screenshot. I mean, I guess you'd have to go with the metadata or maybe there's a technical solution. Maybe there is a foolproof technical solution 
that IT could offer. Or maybe it's, um, I know on a Macintosh, I can take a screenshot and I can get the timestamp in the upper right hand corner of the screen because it shows up there. So maybe that's the way to go. Well, and it, it may be that the information is actually buried somewhere in the page and it's just not being displayed. Uh, you know, and that brings up the issue of uh, just a simple way to bring up the source code and examine it. It, it may be that for, for LinkedIn or, or some other network, you, know, you may have to store a copy of the source code that creates the page to be able to, uh, to pull out that exact timestamp. Uh, the point is, is that you need to have these conversations within, uh, within your, your ethics and compliance office to ensure that the people who have to enforce the policy uh, will have, have, have the backup to be able to demonstrate what it is they're trying to do. We're talking to Ike Piggott at Alabama Power, and when we come back, he's going to talk to us about some specific case studies around uh, documenting uh, social media policy violations um, at his job. Stay with us. Let me ask you a question. How are you managing social media risk? Because your social media policy isn't going to help you manage social media risk. In fact, only two out of every 1,000 people even open the terms of service before signing up for an online service. So the truth is, no one reads your social media policy. They sign for it and stick it in the bottom drawer. I'm not knocking social media policies. They're what justify disciplinary action. But they don't get people to comply, and they don't teach people how to use social media effectively for business. In fact, after your legal team gets through with it, your social media policy probably discourages your employees to share your messages with their personal social networks. So what are you supposed to do? How do you manage the risks and capitalize on the opportunity? How do you scale social media engagement in the workplace effectively and responsibly? The answer is social media training, assessment, and certification. But not live training. It's too expensive and impractical. Cloud-based, on-demand, social media literacy and compliance training is the answer. Training you can give everyone in your company. Training they can take anytime, anywhere, on any device. Training that's so useful, so entertaining, and so current, it's an employee benefit. We've introduced the world's broadest, deepest catalog of social media literacy and compliance training courseware. It's auditable, so you get a record of who knows what, and it's accessible via desktop or mobile, so employees can access it on their own terms. For a free trial, go to ontherecordpodcast.com forward slash comply socially. See for yourself how you can use our system to manage the risks associated with social media in the workplace. You can even earn a social media compliance certificate. Go to ontherecord.com forward slash comply socially and access your free trial. If you're spending all your time worrying about crisis preparedness, take half of that effort and put it into crisis prevention. Before someone says something that damages your reputation, before you leak customer data, before you get fined by the Federal Trade Commission, certify your people, certify yourself. So Ike, um, I know you mentioned to me, and I, I don't know how much about it you can share on a podcast like this, but um, you mentioned to me that you had some actual direct experience helping some of the folks at Alabama Power document policy violations. 
yeah, I, I really don't want to get very specific with it at all. But we'll just say that we had a family that posted a picture that uh, that was not flattering and and was you know was not uh, what we wanted to, to represent our image. Uh, it, it, the picture didn't mention us specifically. The, pin, the picture didn't have our logo in it, but the person did have his affiliation with the company in in the profile, and. Uh, you know, we, there were some very specific issues about trying to get this documented and cataloged uh, in in time. And it turns out that the moment the moment it was brought to his attention, he pulled it down. He, he scrubbed his about me section from his Facebook page, uh, and and then here we were with here we were with with the employee that that recognized he did something wrong. He recognized that he was never going to do anything like that again. Uh, he came away much smarter about how to share on social media and, and, and still, you know, be a professional. Uh, and what we learned from it is, is that, is that in circumstances like that, we really need to know what to grab and grab it quickly, uh, uh, because you know, it, it, at the end of the day, you know, you could still have somebody say, "Oh, well, so and so got away with doing that, and, and they didn't get sanctioned or they didn't get fired." Uh, so, well, you know. We, we weren't able to prove it exactly. So, you know, like I said, these, these are the conundrums. These are the little things that are going to pop up whenever you're doing something for the first time. And, uh, and that's why I'm really you know, glad that you're, you're taking the time to talk about this because there are still a lot of companies out there that have had social media policies in place for, uh, you know, for, for two or three years even that haven't applied anything. Uh, and, and until you kind of run through the paces, you just, you just don't know what some of those exact steps are going to be. You know, in theory, we know what a violation is. Uh, proving that violation is an entirely different matter. Now, just as a footnote, for those of you who are listening, we're not going to issue a whole issue of First Amendment. We're not getting into the, into the issue of what an employer should or should not monitor or listen to. What we're talking about is documenting something that you're allowed to document. There are things that an employer could uh, try to document that would be off-limits, or things that could be interpreted as discrimination or harassment or um, um, uh, uh, non-compliant with uh, federal worker rights to organize that, 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 that's, collectively. That, that, you mentioned NLRB. Uh, I've sat in on, on many conference calls where, where those things are explained. And uh, uh, personally, speaking from my perspective, just personally, uh, you know, I'm not an advocate for corporations going out and monitoring and, and going behind the backs of their employees and, and maintaining a list and, you know, seeing what they're up to. But, but any brand, any brand uh, has a responsibility at this point to monitor for mentions of the brand. And if, if you have an employee that in the course of a tweet mentions an affiliation with the company and then says something really derogatory or something hateful or something threatening – uh, you know that's going to show up in your monitoring, and and you have to you have to act on it at that point. There really isn't a, a ground that you can stand on that says, hey, you know, this is an employee, I, I can't touch him. Uh, from a from a hiring perspective, from a talent recruitment perspective, uh, you know, the, a lot of the guidance I've seen says, hey, you don't go anywhere near their Facebook profile. You don't you don't you don't look at that information. You don't use it. But once once you have an employee in place who is who's identified and, and, and with the company, and they say things that in and of themselves reflect on the company. You know, you've got, a, you've got a brand integrity issue. And that's what a lot of these social media policies are about, uh, is, is ensuring that, that you're not getting in any hot water legally, but also uh, ethically and, and with, uh, and, and with your, your reputation management. Uh, and, 
you know, it's, there's got to be the expectation that, that if you're looking for keywords related to your company and something like this shows up, you've got to be able to do something with it. Now, most companies, social media monitoring, brand monitoring is handled by Corpcom or marketing or PR, and of course policy enforcement is handled by HR. So how does that work? Like how does and when does the person whose job it is to monitor primarily for positive mentions, when they see those negative mentions, what is their responsibility then to notify someone? The, yeah, this is a great question you bring up here because this is something that you've got to walk through. Uh, and, and, and I would suggest that anybody in CorpCom who's involved in this kind of monitoring function have this discussion with your HR and ethics and compliance folks because one of the things that you can't do is come across a post like that and then start shooting it around the company saying, oh, my God, look at what this guy did. He's so stupid. Uh, you know, it, there, there may be another explanation there, uh, but, it's, but it's not your role to expose this, this person's transgression across the entire company. So you want to have some very clear guidelines for the monitoring folks. When you see something, this is who you hand it off to, and then your hands are clean. You know, it's, it, it's not a matter of, of being, being in the loop where a day later or two days later somebody calls and says, oh, yeah, thanks for passing that along. We canned the guy. No, <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. Uh, you, you want to have a very clear policy for what happens with that information because, because what's happened essentially uh, is you now have confidential employee information that is created that is going to go in that employee's case file potentially. And, and, and the people in CorpCom are not necessarily trained specifically to deal with that kind of information and, and, uh, you know, and the protocols for dealing with it properly. So, so you want to have that as part of your policy. Have conversations about, about who this goes to. It may be that, uh, that within your compliance office you've got a, uh, you know, two or three specific contacts that, that, that you would send this to, and then you just get a simple acknowledgement that says, says, thank you, we received your submission, now, now go forth and do your job, and, and know that, it, that, that everything else will be handled behind the scenes. When, when compliance gets something like that, they need to have clear guidelines about who they're going to hand it off to. It's like, it's like is, our, is our protocol to contact that employee's manager or supervisor? To to uh, to see if, if there's corrective action necessary there, does it go to a vice president or a director level? That's something that the organization's got to come to terms with too, and they've got to you got to figure that out so that so that you've got a precedent and a cons- a consistent uniformly applied policy for for how to deal with those situations. So now your team at Alabama Power is responsible for the branded accounts, the branded Twitter account the branded Facebook page, what have you. And I would imagine from time to time if an employee says something that is appropriate or complimentary, you may retweet that or like that or comment on that. Absolutely. Okay, but you have to know then what you can't share. So how does that brand manager, that social brand manager decide what's the litmus test for deciding what can and cannot be liked, commented, or reshared by the branded account from an employee. I don't know that you can set a policy around that because because it's all so individualized. You know, some employees are just simply talking about, hey, you know, I'm just just waking up and it's a great feeling to know I work for a great company. You know, thank you, Alabama Power. Uh, in some circumstances, it may be an employee that's talking about doing something very specific. 
uh, it might be involved in storm restoration. And, and certainly if they're sharing it in public and it's a good message, uh, then it's something that we're going to want to reshare. Uh, so I, I don't know that there's, there's necessarily a, uh, a mirror image effect to this where, uh, you know, sharing, sharing some positive messages leaves you in liability if you don't share other positive messages or if you're not sharing any negative messages. That, that, that's really not so much an issue. Uh, those decisions are going to be made based on uh, the circumstance of the day, based on the, uh, the enhancement to the brand, the, the value that that would bring. Uh, even if it's just a matter of personalizing the brand by, you know, highlighting individual employees and the fact that we're made up of people just like you rather than just being behind a, a corporate logo. I could see how it would be very easy to um, like something on the basis of an Equal Employment Opportunity Commission protected class that could then be seen as discrimination. And I'll give you an example. Um, let's say that there's a holiday coming up, Easter, and somebody who works for Alabama Power puts out a, a harmless tweet about how they're excited about Easter and, and renewing their spirit and going to church. And that's then liked by the corporate account, and then the next you know, day or so, someone who's Muslim or Jewish, let's say, on that team gets let go they then file a uh, wrongful termination suit for being fired on the basis of protected class because they didn't like that as well. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of see there where, where you're going, but the, the fact is, is that if the employee was saying all that about Easter and in the example you gave never mentioned Alabama Power, it wouldn't show up in our monitoring. So it wouldn't be something that we would be clicking over to like anyway. Uh, secondly, even if it was on Facebook, uh, the, our, our employees who are interacting, interacting on Facebook, if they go over to that employee's page and click like, it would be liked as that employee, our employee, and not as the brand. Uh, but you know, I can see a number of instances, though, where, uh, where, where that gets to be a concern. And now you're just kind of talking about what's our overall policy for engagement period, uh, not just – in this instance, it doesn't even have to be an employee. It might be a customer that is expressing – uh, a love for Easter and, and everything else that goes along with it. And, you know, and, and your tacit endorsement through just simply clicking like, as, uh, as easy as that seems, uh, could then come up. So, I mean, yeah, I think that that really kind of connects to another policy, which is, you know, what's your, what's your engagement strategy? What's the protocols that are going to determine what we're going to like, what we're not going to like? Uh, uh, and, and, you know, and who's going to manage those decisions? Uh, in a lot of cases, it's going to be it's going to be corpcom. But you know, one of the things that we do here is we actually have our moment-to-moment -moment monitoring being done by our call center. Our customer service reps are the ones who are seeing the uh, the, the incoming notifications and the mentions of the company and the you know, notifications of a, of a Facebook post. Uh, they're the ones who are handling that. And, uh, and and in some circumstances, they've got they've got the freedom to reply to a customer just like if a customer walked into our office and said, wow, it's a beautiful day. You know, well, we're, we're going to probably reply back to that customer. Uh, but, but you're right. There, there are some things that you want to look at with regard to just an overall engagement policy to make sure that you're sensitive to things involving uh, religion, race, national origin, uh, gender, all those pieces. Well, thanks so much for uh, you know, bringing up the idea of doing this show, and thanks so much for agreeing to have this discussion with us. Uh, we've been talking to Ike Pickett. He's a communication strategist at Alabama Power. Ike, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having us on.
You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com.